This is as hardcore a soccer audience as you're going to find yep. in the United States. Uh, nope, and I want them, podcast. and we want all of those to be Diablos fans as a result of this. Well, hello, FC Dallas Curious fans. Today, welcome back to Third Degree, the podcast. Today is not going to be FC Dallas-centric, but that's okay. You know that's what we do here most of the time. I'm joined today by Damon Gochner. No, I said that wrong. Gochner. That's right. Damon Gochner. I'm trying real hard to get that correctly. Uh, He is the owner of the Denton Diablos, and we're going to discuss all things minor league soccer in the United States in the middle of this COVID-19 shutdown and the impact on soccer in general. Damon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. No, I appreciate it, Buzz. Thanks for having me, man. Longtime listener, first time caller. So this is uh, this is an honor of, in, in, um, you know, in and of itself, just to be on. Do you listen to the podcast? I do, man. Yeah, I've been a. Oh. FC, I mean, we, I was an FC Dallas season ticket holder as soon as we moved back, and I had uh, children. So 2012, 2013, we picked up season tickets and had them all the way up till last season. Wow, terrific. I'll, yep. I won't uh, put you on the spot and ask you why you canceled them. <laughs> no, I, no, it's you know what, dude. I here's the deal, Buzz. I got no problems with life, man. You know, yeah. I, I canceled them because number one, it's hard to get to Frisco from Lantana, which is where we live. My mm. son um, plays the game. My daughter does competitive gymnastics. So Saturday nights were more and more becoming other things with children besides being able to get to the game. And so when they had the flex plan and when they would allow me to flex my tickets and move matches around and things of that nature, um, it was a lot more conducive. But we went from two tickets to four tickets to five tickets for about four years and then slowly dwindled down. And the last season I had two tickets and we just couldn't make it to games because we had too many conflicts. I did like the flex packet myself. I I had that for a couple of years. It was really nice. We took total advantage of that, man, and we would miss the games and then build them up, and I would take my whole, my son's whole youth team I would bring to a game, you know, against Kansas City or against somebody they didn't want to see, you know, the rest of the fans didn't want to see, and it was great. So, yes, that's part of the reason. Sure. Well, one of the ways we always start the podcast, particularly with a new guest, is to ask what your soccer background is uh, in terms of uh, your youth and when you became a, a fan of the game, when you found a passion for the game. And, and then obviously we know you're the Diablos owner, but um, you know what led you as an adult uh, to carry through with your fandom of soccer? No, that's the cool story. So the first what Dallas burn game I attended would have been in like early first or second season still in the cotton bowl. The only reason I can tell you I went is because number one, I caught a ball that everybody signed and I have it in my (laughs) office right now. Nice. Um, And it's because number two, the guy that kicked it into the stands pregame was Carl Boosie. And I played with Carl uh, for the Dallas Texans. So we were sitting, there was, you know, it it was a weekend game, I think, and it was relatively low attendance. So we were sitting there and I was like, hey, what's up, Carl? He's like, hey, hold on, man. And he just booted me a ball and it was, I'll never forget it. Um, so that's that's what led. I grew up playing the game. I grew up in Highland Village, Texas, so just a stone's throw from Frisco. Um, went to Marcus High School, and I, you know, I grew up playing in, in Louisville Soccer Association recreational soccer. And 11 years old, one of my buddy's dad uh, kind of knew Select and knew Classic League and knew some of that stuff, and he put together a team, uh, a Select team, and so we played a little Louisville Express, and I did that for a few seasons and or a couple years, and then. Uh, at about 14, um, 
I went and tried out for the Dallas Texans and made the Texans. Uh, and, and that team at the time was uh, coming off winning the national championship and it won state cup and was one of the top U15 teams in the country. And so that was, you know, be- prior to that, I knew I loved the game and I knew I had fun, but that was probably the time when I realized like soccer was bigger than just something I played for fun that, you know, I, I grew up in, in Marcus High School in 5A Texas high school football country. So for a long time, it felt like the only opportunity to go anything and do anything was football or basketball or baseball. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the point where I knew like soccer was going to be a long term passion for me is when I started to play in the game when other people were falling out uh, and realized, hey, man, there, there might actually be a pathway. So I played at Marcus High School, ended up playing for the Comets as well, played in the Dallas Cup, uh, won the Sun Bowl, won Pikes Peak, did all kinds of fun stuff there, went and played a couple years of NAIA college. And then, uh, like so many players of my generation, essentially just quit the game altogether at about 23 years old um, for a lot of different reasons. Wanted to, well, needed to make money, needed a job, uh, wasn't, was disillusioned from the lack of competitive outlets. So played in TPSA and, and played against the Riados and played in the open divisions and just, it was never kind of what I wanted it to be from a, what I had in college and what I had in my club teams. So at that point, it was just kind of a falling away from the game uh, until I had kids. So 2008, I had my first child, my son, uh, and he is probably as smitten or more smitten with the game than I am for a lot of different reasons. And so since then, it's been a just a kind of year by year re, uh, re-dipping our bodies into the pool of soccer and local soccer culture. So, you know, started with FC Dallas tickets. We got turned on, and that's that's kind of how I ended up here is, um, his, his youth coach was a guy by the name of Jamie Lovegrove. Uh, and Jamie at the time was playing and still is playing for the Fort Worth Vaqueros. Local and legend. So, that's it, man. Yeah. yeah. You're, I mean, he's, he's one of the, he could be one of the best players, you know, top 20 players to ever play in the NPSL and, you know, personal friend, loved the guy to death, went to his wedding. He's a great dude. Um, and a great player. Right. And, and so, and we loved it and it was an awesome opportunity. And Hayden and I had a blast going to Vaqueros games. Uh, when they were over at Farrington Field, I believe, at, at Texas Wesleyan University. Um, and we kind of fell in love with NPSL soccer there. Uh, and so over the course of about the next 18 to 24 months, I started kind of putting pen to paper and saying, you know, what is what does this actually look like? Um, so I'm sure there's some people, but, you know, at the end of the day, I was trying to figure out, is is this feasible? You know, I'm, I own my own small business, a marketing agency up in Denton, and I work with a ton of different businesses in all different verticals. So at the end of the day, it, it's got to be sustainable and it's got to support itself and it has to be something the community wants and all those different things. So it took a little while to kind of put some pen to paper and kind of figure things out. And in March of 2000, I guess it would have been uh, 18. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, that would have been right. March of 2018, Michael Hitchcock and I got together and had a couple cocktails at a local bar and decided that, you know, Denton might make a really unique story and, and create a unique opportunity for soccer and, and lower league soccer to continue to grow and develop. Do you remember sort of a bell ringing moment where you said, I'm going to make a pro team or was it just sort of a general evolution along with your, of course your fandom with you. Oh family. no, that's, that's a really good question. Yeah. So listen, I remember this. I remember so that that sparks a different, 
I remember the the point when I realized I wasn't going to be a professional soccer player. Like I I remember, and so I was playing for the Dallas Texans, and on that team we also had a guy named Nick Garcia who uh, went on to Nick. play with. Yeah. So yeah. listen, let me tell you right now. At ninth grade, Nick would show up to practice, and we practiced three times a week. He would show up, and we practiced at Campbell Green, and there was a little recreational center right there. And Nick would show up an hour and a half before practice, and him and his dad would go in the gym, and he would work out physically squat and lift weights and then come to practice afterwards every time. And I remember walking away and Carl was a freak of nature athlete, just arguably one of the best athletes I've ever played any sport against. And so I remember looking at my dad at 14 years old and going, you know, dad, I think I'm pretty good because I'm on this team and these guys are like really, really good, (laughs) but I'm not as good as they are. So I don't think like there's a limit. Like if I can get a scholarship, I'd be real happy now. So that's just a funny aside. I remember that vivid as like fourth game that I played with him, looking around, going, "Yeah, I'm totally happy to be the 11th <laughs> or 12th guy on this roster. I'm, right. I'm like, I'm good, man. I'm good." So, and it's funny because Abdi was my coach, and Abdul played on the team with me, and he's still a good friend. And we, I laugh with him all the time. Like, "Yep, number 14, totally cool. Was happy to wear the 14 jersey and be the 15th guy on the roster. No worries." Um, but yes, you know. Um, Still pinch myself, to be honest, Buzz. Still, in some ways, still can't believe that I own a semi-pro, whatever, however you want to define it. Right. Um, but a, a team that 100%, listen, man, I'll be totally honest. We have aspirations of of potentially climbing the ladder, moving up, of growing this into something beyond what it is today. So, yes, I have aspirations that this is a potentially a NISA level or a USL 1 or a USL championship I would love to see promotion and relegation like so many other red-blooded Americans would um, and would love to see a lot of different changes. But at the same time, I'm also cognizant that I'm really, really happy and lucky and fortunate um, to, to be where I'm at. And that's to own an NPSL team um, and to provide an opportunity for young men all the way up to however old to continue to pursue the, the, their dreams of playing soccer at a higher level and continuing to, to chase that dream, right? So whatever that manifests itself, but the fact that in, in year two, our first available year, we're, we have a, a spot in the U.S. Open Cup and get a chance to face off against Rayados and, and really kind of test our medal, it's just super awesome and something that I really couldn't even believe would have been, that ever would have happened this fast if you'd have told me, you know, 18, 24 months ago. Why the MPSL? USL2 is viable at that same level. What, what was it that it led is. you towards the MPSL? No, that's a really good question, man. Um, the, 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 the conversations at the time were really three leagues. So USL2, you totally hit on uh, NPSL and UPSL, right? Sure. UP, UPSL felt too unstructured. So let me address that one first. It felt like there was too much going on and there wasn't a clear path for how brand equity built itself and for how we were building sustainable, professional, high-quality soccer. It felt like it was a great bridge to get people a little bit more than they wanted with maybe NTPSA or adult amateur soccer Sunday leagues, beer leagues, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. um, but not quite at the level of a NISA or a USL2 or something that really took some financial backing, right? Right. USL2, for, in a lot of ways, was just lack of control. You know, I, I, the, the, there's, a, there's problems with the way the USL is structured regarding ownership, franchises, and rights to specific territories. And so the, the, at the end of the day, nobody could look across the table from me and say, yes, if you come in at USL2, you're protected in Denton and, and, things, and we're going to look out for you and we're going to help you grow your market and find you a pathway to get to the next levels. 
quite the con like to the contrary, I felt like it was almost more of a I don't want to say combative, but it like there wasn't necessarily love or interest on their side, even though and to some degree, you know, we have Texas United and, and Grand Prairie, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um and most soccer fans in North Texas have no idea they're there. Yeah. Um, which is really sad. And here's the buzz. The funniest part about that is, is my cousin played at Western Illinois uh, and then went on and played with the Des Moines Menace of USL2. And he had a great experience there and loved it. And that is totally antithetical um, to a lot of the experiences that we see in this part of the country with USL2. So go ahead. I was just going to say that you mentioned Texas United. We, we've actually tried to cover them and have tried to reach out to them on multiple levels and can't get them to respond in terms of even the most basic information. So uh, we've, we've struggled to get them to engage with us on any level. Um, and I have heard before, as you've mentioned, that uh, that if you have a USL franchise at whatever level, that doesn't prevent them from selling another USL franchise in your same city at a different level, which is... Um, I mean, I find dude, a little bit off-putting, but I, obviously oh, I don't have an iron in the fire. But I can imagine exactly. why, if you're trying to invest in a franchise, here they come and slap a USL championship team in your backyard. You know. Well, and so listen, and at the end of the day, I'm a transparency guy. I, I want people to know what we're doing, and I want to be able to stand in the in the light of the truth. Right? I try right. to tell my kids, my wife, my employees, like it's just good to live clean. It, you, you'll find it makes things a lot easier. So I want people to know if they're putting a dollar in, where the dollar's going, how it's being broken down, and what we're doing with their investment in our club, because that's what it is, and I appreciate and respect that. Right? Um, and the bottom line is, is the biggest problems I have with USL as a structure is just the entire relationship with MLS and some. Right? I, I don't. I'll never trust anything where Soccer United marketing is, is is involved because the flow of dollars and the flow of where dollars end up is never clear and it's very, very wrong. I don't know of a better word. It doesn't feel right. And I think that's part of the reason why the structure of the way American soccer is will be so difficult to change because there's financial incentives for people that have nothing to do with soccer to leave things set up the way they are because they were good marketers or good business people or they had the right connections 30 years ago when yeah. this league had absolutely no value and was just a dream after the 92 Olympic or World Cup. Right. Right. And so and it's also just the nature of how this game is evolving. The biggest thing that's going to really change the conversation in my mind is television rights. And we're starting to see that really take off and and that conversation change. The fact that ESPN Plus is picking up and picked up all the U.S. Open Cup coverage. That's a big step. And if the more we can get some of those things separated from some, then absolutely. USL, we'd love we'd love to get to a higher level. Right. But at the end of the day, to your point, um, one porridge didn't feel right. The bowl was looked like it just didn't make sense. The other <laughs> porridge, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was too hot and too high, and I didn't know if I was going to get to keep my bowl. And on top of that, like, coming into USL 2, I would be the lowest man on their totem pole from a USL perspective yeah. forever. Until I ponied up and moved up, until we fundamentally opened their eyes and blew their minds to how great we are. And why we need to potentially move up. And great, you know, I love the Sacramento story. I love stories of teams moving up for the right reasons. But we also need to address the, the professional playing standards. And they're, they're like, there's just so many conversations that are bigger than us that just aren't ready yet. So when we looked at all of that landscape, NPSL felt like a, a truly national league that had quality competition and some really, really good top-end teams. 
um, had a really good structure and a good organization place conference for us to fit into year one so that travel wasn't crazy, but it also provided some, some, I mean, you know, the, the Laredo heat have almost like they played for the USL championship. I think maybe won the USL championship one year, Midland soccer's same thing. Um, so th- these are, these are quality teams. And then Fort Worth had a quality product since day one. So we felt like overall, from where we wanted to go from an organization, the NPSL was the most closely aligned with our business goals. Well, it probably helps too that there are, you know, five, six teams in the North Texas area versus just one for USL two. I mean, I imagine that transportation costs are important at the level. That's it. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. You're exactly right. USL two. I mean, you know, in the normal Lone Star Conference, we have two or three kind of long road trips, but even those aren't bad. They're, you know, seven, eight, nine hours, uh, and we typically get a charter bus, something along those lines. This year, we were actually looking to fly to potentially Laredo and Brownsville just because wow. flights were really cheap, and, and kind of we had some we had some ways that we were trying to – we were saving costs in some other areas, but that's like – that's the life of a of a lower league, you know, any, prof- any semi-professional sport owner is trying to figure out – how can we maximize our dollars? How can we give our players the absolute best treatment and make them feel like they're the most special guys in the world? Um, give our fans a quality product on game day, um, and as well keep lights on and be able to afford things next year, next month, whatever it is. Now I'm a big fan of your brand, your Denton Diablo's brand, including your kits and your logo that. and all that stuff. Why don't you tell awesome. us a little bit how about that, how that all came together? No, man. So it's, you know, listen, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, Buzz. And we went to Fort Worth and had a blast. And I looked at the Fort Worth Vaqueros and said, they need a, and, and we went to Fort Worth, Dallas City, but Dallas City, and I love Jacob. He's a great guy. I played men's league soccer with their owner and, and, and knows a lot of their team real well and respect him immensely. But there just wasn't much of a, a rivalry and a bond there. Um, and so just looking around, we, I knew that, uh, I had talked to another uh, another friend who had a son that's my son's age that played soccer together, and we initially had looked at either Denton or the Sherman-Denison area because he had a lot of connections, and that was kind of his hometown. And we talked about them both through and through, but I don't know why, like, the probably the second or third time we talked, um, I just kind of started tossing around ideas, and he did the same thing, like the Denison this and the Sherman that, and, uh, and I just tossed out Denton Diablos, and then from there – um, and it just fit, man. Denton's a funky town. It's different. It's it a little macabre. It is a little macabre in some ways, right? So we're yeah. weird. You know, we got the music scene. We've got the, the, the Day of the Dead festival that happens in October. Um, we've got the whole jazz festival that has a lot of like different stuff. So it's always felt like a, a community that's looking for its own identity, identity in a lot of ways. And so because of that, I just felt like, man, I, I think, and, and, you know, in, in all honesty, we wanted to find something as well that wasn't just like, you know, Denton FC or something that, you know, didn't necessarily have any emotive context or didn't didn't bring any emotion out of you. Um, and then, you know, listen, I'm also 100 percent respective of the, the fact that we appreciate and want to embrace um, because a lot of our players are from the culture, the Hispanic community. So, you know, we would not be able to support our, both our playing or from a fan's perspective. So I'm not, you know, um, what, blind to who our fan base is. So we wanted to find a way to try to check all the boxes, if you will. So we did, I did, you know, to that point, I was also absolutely aware of and and concerned about misappropriating or coming off as insincere. So we did focus groups. I did focus groups with some, a bunch of UNT students. I did focus groups with a bunch of, um, 
essentially churches and organizations in Denton in that regard because we were worried the Diablos thing and the Bible Belt country might not necessarily be the strongest play. <laughs> right. Like, let's go support the devil. Um, but uh, you know, people appreciated the playfulness around it, right? We're not... Right. We're not telling anybody to like, you know, turn your cross upside down. We're just no. saying that, hey, we're going to be aggressive and we love red and black and it's going to be fun and we're going to be in your face and we're going to be loud and we're going to be, um, you know, uh, maybe a little bit of attitude and maybe a little times you might think we're a little out of control, but that's okay. That's that's Denton and that's a, we, we love it and we appreciate it. And that's what that's what creates an amazing atmosphere. And so it was, you know, to be honest, Buzz, it was just. Like I, there's times still when like I'm walking around Denton, I go into Eastside, I go into a different bar and I see one of our kits and I see somebody out there and it, it literally almost brings a tear to my eye. Like I, I can't believe that, you know, other people love it as much as I do. Um, cause at the end of the day, it feels like a pet project. Like me and my son just created it on FIFA and, and I got some stuff printed up and cool. It's awesome. I still, sometimes it's hard to believe we're here and all the things that we're doing are actually happening and, and kind of where we're going. Well, I certainly love your hoops. Uh, as that will come as no surprise to anyone who knows the, me yep. or the blog. Um, yep. Is that something you're going to stick with, or is that just the first? That was just this jersey, and everyone's going to be different. No, you know, um, our 2020 home jersey is going to be the same. So we're going to we're bringing back the hoops. We've had very little change. East Side is still our front jersey sponsor. We've got a little bit of change in the in the rear jersey sponsor, and then I actually have what I think are the absolute best numbers in soccer anywhere in the world. Um, that we had teed up ready to go on our jerseys this year. So, and we hadn't talked about that at all. So that's a it's a third degree exclusive. But oh, man, um, teaser, yeah, when, yeah. When we can, when we can finally, and you know what, I will uh, after this buzz, I will send you an image of what we're planning to release on our for our numbers this year, what we were planning to play. So, playing on the Diablos theme and everything along it, I I went and worked with a designer, and I feel really really good about the numbers that we put together to just kind of really drive that home and, and feel like we own that piece too. But well, no, the hoops, I love the hoops. And yeah. I don't, as long as we can, I would love to have some variation or some, some tribute to those. Cause I think it's just a part of classic soccer. You know, I mean, we've got the hoop socks. I had the keepers and hoop socks. Um, you yeah. know, I have our Academy kids, our, our youth teams. I have them wear the, the, the hoops as much as we can. So yeah, I love the hoops, but listen, Puma has been an awesome partner for us. And you know, coming out of the gate, there's a lot of different ways that you can go for jerseys and kits and apparel. And it's even getting more so now with, you know, um, the guys that, uh, oh, I always forget the name, but, um, the stimulus guys. And then the guys at, um, Oh, I've got three or four of their kits. They're really good. And I'm, I can't believe I can't remember, but they do really good. Icarus, the Icarus guys make some really cool lower level kits. Hummel's got some new stuff that's out. Umbro's really come out with some new stuff. Um, but as a brand new club, we felt like we wanted to to kind of get some credibility in the marketplace with our jerseys. And so we wanted to go with a, a more established brand. And I, you know, I bought my first pair of Puma Kings in 1989, 90. Um, and they were like a game changer shoe from how I felt about. And I played in some Copas before that and then ended up going back to Copas. But I remember I loved my Puma Kings for two years that I wore them. Um, so I've always had a, a strong affinity for Puma. So when we had a chance to potentially work with them for the Jersey, it was like a no brainer. We want to work the long term. We want to work with Puma to do our own custom jerseys, but we kind of got to crawl, walk, run. So we got to sure. sell enough jerseys and have enough dollars in the house to be able to afford the, the full custom look. But out of the gate, the red and the black worked so well. Right, um, right. And, 
and, and they've got some other stuff in the in the closet for us as well that we were going to bring out for away kits this year and some stuff that that's been a great relationship. So you know, our 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 for what I mean, in all honesty and transparency, our Puma contract ends this year, and mm-hmm. that is something that we'll be discussing. You know, next off season into the fall is what do we plan to do for twenty twenty one? Do we want to stay with Puma? Do we want to get in some custom stuff? I've had two or three different designers design full, crazy custom Diablos kits, and some of those just get nutty. So, you know, the, the, the sky's the limit, and the palette gets pretty wide when you talk about putting a devil on your shirt. So, right. um, yeah, no, but yes, we love the hoops, and for as long as we can, I, I'm committed to staying in some sort of variation of that. I went to a game up there at your uh, facility on the UNT's campus. That's a, mm-hmm. a lovely little soccer facility. What sort of led you to them? Uh, and, and to bring that deal together and, and how did that work for you as a venue in your first year? No, that's a great question too. So the, when I started researching, you know, and if you want to know what it takes, if you're really interested in the mechanics of NPSL teams and the dollars and cents, and you really want to dig into the balance sheet, what you need to do is go look up Dennis, um, uh, I'm going brain dead tonight. I am so <laughs> sorry. Dennis Crowley from the Kingston Stockade. He was one of the founders of Foursquare, sold out, wanted to start a lower-level soccer team, and then open-sourced the entire experience. Wrote notes, writes big blog articles, talks about everything they do, how much money they spend, every different machination of the club and so dude i read through his stuff everything that he put out there um as i was kind of formulating this plan and thinking through what i wanted to do and i knew right away early on that some of your biggest costs are travel right um coaching staff and some of your like core staff pieces and then venue it's one of the biggest issues in for lower level soccer because 95 percent of the clubs maybe even 98 percent of the clubs do not own or control the access to their venues. Uh, and it's crucial. You know, I, people don't really understand what that means, but it means that everything I want to do, I have to work with a third party to make sure we have approval on and get dates cleared. And it just becomes very, very difficult from a scheduling and, and the entire. So I knew that if this thing was going to have legs, we needed to have a good venue. And so uh, luck behold or lo and behold, I am a UNT graduate. I'm also a diehard UNT football, basketball, and pretty much any other sport that they play fan and will support them in any way I can because I like to support winners. And I want the people that go to my school to win so that they then reflect on me as a winner. So because of all that, it wasn't a difficult conversation. I've had North Texas season football season tickets since 2007. Um, even when I didn't live in the state and bought and renewed season tickets when we lived in Florida, just cause I knew we'd come back someday. So all of that goodwill and credit essentially got me, uh, access to pick up the phone and call the athletic director at North Texas, a guy named Ren Baker, and just see if I could get a meeting to talk about this crazy idea I had. And so, uh, but it, we're also super fortunate that UNT built a brand new soccer and track facility. And so they were in this weird situation where they had a second, soccer soccer only specific facility that we love and think is absolutely phenomenal um that was going to go for the most part unused by their first team as a as a game day venue and was only going to be used as a training facility and then when you look at it for our time that we need to play that april may june july time frame their players really aren't utilizing that facility at all they're using it for some camps and they're using it for some other kind of non uh first team activities with unt but it presented an opportunity where I, you know, the, the way I pitched it to them was, is they don't have male soccer. 
Uh, they have women's soccer, so they don't get anybody around men's soccer on their campus. And this is a unique way for us to bring 500 to 1,000 people to their stadium and to their facilities six times a year. Um, and then also, of course, they're monetizing and making some money off of a, of a venue that otherwise would be a, a liability for them, right? They still got to pay to cut the grass and keep everything looking nice and, and, and staff for, on that side. So it was a couple meetings. They were receptive. They were appreciative of what we were trying to do. They're actually, UNT is an awesome partner in a lot of different ways. And Ren Baker and Mike Ashbaugh, the director of facilities up there, have been really just super solid guys to try to work with. And so we created and had some really, really good heart to hearts. And I said, guys, listen, we're not a, a huge budget club. So I need, you know, I want this to work and we want to be sustainable. You obviously need to have a minimum. You need to, to cover your cost. Let's make sure that's covered every game. And then let's figure out a revenue share model so that if we pack that thing with a thousand people, you're happy and you make a little more money and we're happy we make a little more money. And so we, we you know, I, I, I'm a I'm a businessman, right? So I went to work and figured out a couple different sliding scales of uh, of revenue share that based on when we hit certain percentages or certain dollar number amounts that the percentages shift so that we're motivated, inclined, and financially incentivized to pack our stadium, and they are as well. And hey, what do you know? When you create those win wins, people say yes, and so that's essentially what happened, and we were super blessed. Looking back on your first season now in hindsight. Uh, what do you think went well or, or and what didn't went well? Maybe what, what lessons did you learn from that first season? Understaffed. And I say that for, and we didn't, and we had a great people and great help. And I appreciate And everybody that, that helped, you know, came in and, and was a part of it, did a great job. Um, but we, we, you know, to, to some degree, you don't know what you don't know. And I didn't realize if we really wanted to do it the way I wanted to do it, Buzz, listen, it, it, that's the dichotomy. It's kind of like the the play or the or the meal you make. Nobody knows what you were intending to do. They just know how the final product turned out, right? Um, right. So they don't know the cake was supposed to have a fourth layer. It was supposed to have homemade buttercream ice cream, or it was supposed <laughs> to have you know what I mean. Like they don't know that. that so there good. was, but yeah, exactly, right? And that's what in my mind, man. I had this vision of this this perfect game day experience and this overwhelming atmosphere and seamless and merch and food and play and us winning the league. And you know what, dude, we didn't we didn't do any of those things because that's unrealistic. But when we looked back, you know, to your point, um, where did we miss the marks or what what disappointed us? Yeah, we, we should have we were understaffed and that would have made everything happen a lot easier. So just sounding the call and giving people opportunity, um, trying to find the right people and, and getting them in the right places. I felt like our, our I don't know, I can't remember which game you came to, but our, our final home game and our final game of the season, the playoff game against Fort Worth, was the first time that after the game I walked away from the stadium and felt like, man, we were nine out of ten tonight. We didn't, everything's never going to go 10 out of 10, right? I'm not, I can't ask for that, but everything that we should be doing, we did. And everything that we could control, we did. And it was an awesome experience. So, you know, like I'm a nut job, man. I want second and third cameras and I want better live streams. I want people, I want our broadcast to rival MLS and I want it to be easier. I know, but I want it to be easier to watch my games than it is to watch the FC Dallas games. And right now it is because you don't have to have any technology or any cable subscription. (laughs) You just have to go on Facebook live and you can do it. And you can do that from any device. 
price. And I am a, and that was the other thing, Buzz. I'm an FC Dallas season ticket holder for a bunch of years, and I can't watch home games because we cut the cord, yeah. and I don't get TXA 21, and I'm not putting an antenna up and running all this junk just to get one station for this one. Figure out streaming. It's 2020, for goodness sakes, right? Yeah. If I can do it for my team, and we had a two-camera broadcast last year. So we had a high-mount camera that was fixed streaming from, and then we had a sideline fixed camera at midfield. I have purchased and we have invested in the technology, so we will have at least a third, but potentially if wow. we can have enough staffing, a fourth. So sideline camera on the fan side to get fan interactions, roving, and then a sideline camera on the player side to get coaches and that sort of interaction and reaction. Because I know, man, the game, that's where the game is going. You know, that's, this, this is our opportunity. And as a league, the NPSL has a really unique chance to package things up if everybody takes the same approach. It doesn't take much to put on a first-class broadcast anymore. Equipment has never been cheaper. Production quality and production access has never been easier. So, you know, for a lot of reasons, there's no reason that, that as a league we shouldn't be stepping up. Yeah, as 25 years in the TV business, I know exactly what you mean. And I know what those broadcasts cost, and I know what kind of investment level you're talking about. And it's not it's insubstantial, so I'm really impressed by that. And, and uh, you know, you're right that surprised. it is compressing and becoming easier. Yes. You know, what used to be probably fifty to $100,000 worth of infrastructure cost, minimum easy, you can get by now with maybe five or $10,000. So the Sling Studio is amazing, and it's yep. 1500 bucks, right? And then we buy the pieces for each. So I think we're 2500 total. I bought two more cameras at about a grand a piece. We're 4500 You know, I had the tower already. That was a little, I'm, I'm less than 10, and we are set up for a three, four camera, small, you know, not huge. We're not going to the Super Bowl and doing it right, but for our needs, 100%. And comparative yeah. to... The rest of the competition, we're better than USL broadcast. Yes, we're better are. than you, you know what I mean. Like yeah. in my mind, Buzz, that blows my mind. I'm a marketing guy. I'm not a tech. I'm you know what I mean. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not ESPN dude coming down from the from the booth figuring this all out. So that's what I'm, the opportunity for to create a lower level team that really does things amazing the right way has never been at the at the nexus that it has in the last two to three years. So, yeah, I, I watch those USL one broadcasts, and I literally have to bite down on something to keep from screaming at the television. You know, given my background, I, it just claw, it's like nails on a chalkboard watching them clown around on those games. That's it, dude. Oh, and and, and so some of those bad. are the championship, like the best. You know, they're best that they can offer, and it's like, dude. But these stadiums weren't set up for that. They don't understand. They don't have the power, of the infrastructure. Typically, they don't have the Wi-Fi needs, right? So that's the right. biggest. That's our. One of the reasons I wanted UNT is because their stadium naming partner for their football stadium is Apogee, which is the infrastructure and, and Wi-Fi. We have six dedicated Wi-Fi network access points for our club on game day. Wow. Between those six, I think it's like 600 megs because I think they're all 100 meg. Uh, or if not, it's 10. So we're you know 60 meg across the different plenty yeah. so not one time last year did our stream ever buffer because we have a we have a wi-fi connection point dedicated just to our one camera stream another for the second camera stream another for the for the press box another for our social media team and then another for the merch and the game day peeps so it's insane that's we never have yeah. but, but but that's why is just finding it's all about finding so listen man i'm super lucky i don't i'm not that smart buzz I happen to grow up in this area and have deep roots, right? And haven't been a total asshole. Um, I'm not saying I'm not an asshole, 
but I haven't been a total just asshole. Just not a total so asshole. That's yeah. it. So there's still some people that like actually will take my call and maybe try to work a deal together. Um, there's a fair amount that won't, and that's totally cool. But thank goodness I had some relationships. So that's how we get North Texas. You know, we played some games and, and we get a chance to practice and use DISD with Denton ISD's facilities. Um, you know, this summer, who knows what's going to happen. And so we've actually had some conversations with Texas Women's University. Um, it's a private institution, so it has a little more control and it's a little in the 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 uh, decisioning body is a little bit smaller, so it right. might be a little bit easier to facilitate some. And we have some connections there, thanks to some relationships through Solar and the DA. Um, but then we've also had a lot of conversations, and, and we've got a really good situation with the city of Denton and their Parks and Rec Department. So, you know, in 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 lieu of buying our own land and building our own facility, the next best thing is for us to hedge every potential bet we can and have a great relationship with every facility in you know the heart of Denton. Now, you mentioned an academy. What does your vertical integration look like, and what what league do you play in, and, and where do you see that going? So, some point. That, that's no. It, it, it's like everything else, um, or I shouldn't say that. It's a it's a function of demand and not so much of a plan. So I and this is a, another great question. Like, why start an NPSL team? Right. right. What, what's the, what's the play here? What's your angle, Chief? Uh, and a couple. Number one is the dream, right? So the bucket list. You know, you put me in the pine box, hopefully next year, and I'll have the U.S. Open Cup under my belt and some other things, and I will, I will be a very happy man for a for accomplishing some things that I thought I probably never would in life. In all reality, like I'm very, very realistic about that. So, and that humbles me, man, and that's super cool, and that that alone is special enough, right? It's a dream, and I'm accomplishing and living my dream. Screw the world, but. The reality is behind that is my dream has tangible benefits and does a lot of good for my neighborhood. And so, you know, our head coach played at Marcus High School, the same high school I graduated from, uh, or excuse me, coached at Marcus High School. Our assistant coach and captain and leading goal scorer from last year, Sam Garza, is now the head coach at Marcus High School. He also captained Marcus High School. So this thing has a story in and of itself that's so cool and so much bigger than just the game of soccer, but is really amazing for the for southern denton county right um but it both of those are 100 percent real and 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 honest and sincere but behind and kind of laid under or maybe on top of all of that is i got a, tw- a now 11 year old soon to be 12 year old son that buzz when i was 21 20 22 whatever it was when i walked away from the game and literally just stepped away from college in missouri transferred back to north texas hung up the boots, went and got a job part-time, got an apartment and just became athlete, or excuse me, student. Um, there was no UPSL. There was no NPSL. There was no USL2. There was no, there was no opportunity, right? right. Um, and, and to your point, like, I look around. My son plays for – he's played for FC Dallas' youth, youth system. He's played for Solar, uh, and we're with Solar right now. Um, and I'm a product of that, the, those same environments, and it's, you know – I'll, I'll, I'll frustrate and upset those who who don't like what I have to say, but that system is fundamentally absolutely atrociously wrong and, and, and flawed. And, and the fact that the best have to go pay through the nose for the opportunity or the kids that are pretty good, almost good enough, have to pay even more to try to earn the right to get to the academy team or whatever it is, it's just so backwards. Um, and there's so many kids that end up falling through the cracks because they can't. You know, I've got... You know, I'm, so we, the Diablos, 
received an invitation to, and this is kind of to come full circle. I've got a son and of all the parents in, uh, in North Texas with all the relationships, you know, I know my son has the opportunity to play for an NPSL team as soon as he wants to and go train and learn and be in that environment. And all of the money that I've invested in the club, I easily write off in the blink of an eye. Don't even think twice about it as, as for that opportunity because you, you literally cannot buy that without creating your own, right? Or without buying a club. So I've listened to Jose Mourinho talk about, you know, there's nothing like sitting in the locker room and talking and listening to great players and watching great players. I've heard Pep Guardiola talk about how he learned so much, not playing with them, but by being a junior and watching and by being an assistant coach and listening, but being in that environment. So at the end of the day, I've created that for my son with an awesome coach who did amazing things with former MLS players. I mean, I don't want to spill the beans, but we got a guy that we signed or, you know, that we have on the roster for the U.S. Open Cup and for the NPSL season coming up that's played in the FA Youth Cup and the FA Youth Tournament against Paul Pogba and has played at, like, amazing levels professionally overseas in Northern Ireland and, you know, is now going to wear the Diablos kit and my son's going to have a chance to learn and ask him questions and pick his brain. And uh, and that's amazing. And that's, that's a to me, it's an absolute no-brainer. I fundamentally think that, U.S. youth soccer is broken. The whole system is, is is just broken in a lot of different ways, and I also firmly believe that the state of U.S. youth or the state of U.S. soccer is fundamentally just flawed and broken. And I know that um, it's disingenuous to sit from the sidelines and to complain and to bitch about a situation if you're not willing to put your skin on the wall, invest, and try to do something to change it. And fundamentally, I feel like the Denton Diablos, following the lead of other clubs like the Fort Worth Vaqueros and other other academies across the U.S., has the ability to create a situation where we can create a sustainable, non-pay-for-play youth academy that is not tied to an MLS academy. Long term, there's going to have to be some things that, and we're starting to see that with solidarity payment changes and some other changes, that this could become in and of itself a sustainable development process that funds itself through long-term solidarity payments like it happens in Europe. And that is now a viable option. But even without that, I still feel like take those payments away and take that money away. There's still a chance for the club, for a, a smart club, well-run and professionally organized to generate enough income, interest, and support where we can eliminate the traditional paradigm of pay-for-play club soccer, specifically how it relates in North Texas. That's a crazy thing to say in, in my mind, but that's that's why we started the Diablos. Someday, uh, someday Buzz, there's going to be a guy that plays, and this is my, like, beyond the U.S. Open Cup and beyond my son playing for the team, like, the when I sit here and have my cocktail and, and I think about the next 30 years and I go, this is the moment where I'm going to, you know, like, kind of tell everybody, F you, this was worth it, you were wrong, I was right, I proved I was right, screw you, I knew it, is when somebody comes through and plays for the Diablos and then goes to play on a national team level at any sort above that, right? Uh, and I firmly, 100%, wholly believe that that will happen at some point. One of our youth academy players will go do that. One of our NPSL guys will will do that when they're 17, 18, 19 and go on. That, 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 that will be a, a realistic possibility.
So right now, how many teams would you say that you have in your youth setup? None, uh, none, none. We have no, we have none, no full academy. So that's why I say that. What happened is, is because of who we are and because of the relationships we have, both internally, domestically, and then some of the relationships that we're starting to build internationally mm -hmm. through Michael Hitchcock, through FC Global, through some other partners. We've had some really, really cool opportunities to a bring some teams in. Um, to compete against the Diablos, but to be also send some teams out um, and specifically youth teams. And so what happened is, is we've had a couple opportunities present themselves. Um, and the one that made sense was we had a, a, an opportunity to come up for uh, to send a team to Barcelona, Spain uh, this past February. Um, and so we got the invitation uh, late in December. Another team that had been scheduled to come bowed out. So they were looking for one specific team. They, they, you know, had some ideas, but so long story short, they wanted to see if we could do it. And so, uh, we, we put together an 08, um, boys team, 2008 boys team to take over, uh, to Barcelona, Spain. And, and they went and they had an amazing trip. Uh, and some of those kids that play on that team, uh, do not play in classic one, um, because their parents can't afford to pay it. And so right. we were able to put that trip on, you know, for, Twenty to thirty percent of what it would typically cost. So kids that can't afford to play club soccer could afford to go to Barcelona, Spain for eight days and play Barcelona and Wolverhampton and Olympic Marseille and Maccab Tel Aviv and Maccab Haifa and um, Unification Yefa and like just amazing experience. Um, and so that's another thing where you know, so our academy right now is or our youth teams are really just a function of me having kids. And wanting to give them the opportunity to to have fun with it, um, we we and this is a you know we're having conversations as we speak because in a lot of ways, thanks to the COVID situation, there's going to be a really different landscape in youth soccer specifically this year, come July and August, because the typical calendar is going to be altered in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it is. And. <laughs> And, and so because of that, there's going to be this real tumultuous upheaval in my mind. There's also like, you know, there's every year there's kids going 77 to 99 to 11 v 11 and all those ramifications. And with the DA system disappearing and a bunch of new kids coming in, um, there's just it's never been a more uncertain landscape. That's the perfect time to launch something potentially brand new uh, into a market and have a better chance competitively of standing up and, and, and going rather than coming into a extremely mature, you know what I mean, situation and trying to have to earn when everybody is totally buttoned up and dialed in. So with those things being said, we're, we're kicking around and, and we'd like to start small and start with just like to some degree the Bacaros have, start with one team. Right. Um, and whatever age group that is and, and build it so it can sustain and so that we can get it. And then, but you know, Buzz, you know, Hitch and I have talked about this and the other guys have talked about this. The club, the Diablos, are probably not ready to do that for another maybe two years, three years, depending on economic factors, right? But that doesn't mean that the club's not going to do it because I'm a nut job and I have a selfish interest to that specific venture, right? So this this could be a situation where, you know, I am taking on the onus of, you know, supporting, fulfilling, and sustaining those initial teams out of the gate just as the snowball to get the process started. Because the crazy thing is, is how many calls we receive, how many emails, how many Facebook messages, Instagram messages, you know, of just people asking, what is your youth system? How do we be, can we affiliate? Can, hey, I got a U6 team. Can we wear your jerseys? Can we, 
And up till now, we didn't have a clear plan on how we wanted to handle that, what it was going to look like. And so we've been very hesitant. But in the last two, three weeks, there's been some things and some developments and opportunities have come up where I think we might be closer than we ever have been. And I think we have a really, really cool way to do it where the brand isn't just Diablo's Academy, but it becomes something that people can get behind and play for and a badge in and of itself. So I know that sounds like kind of a tease and it is, and I apologize. <laughs> all right. Um, but yes, we are, we are working on that diligently because at the end of the day, we were started with the Diablos were created for opportunity, you know, opportunity for all involved. So opportunity for players, opportunity for coaches, opportunities for owners, opportunities for fans and new fans of the games. Um, but also opportunity to grow and opportunity for use and opportunity for change and to find better models because I don't have, you know, a, a $4 million overhead per year and I don't have this massive ship and I don't have a ton of oversight with Dan Garber or anybody else telling me what I can or can't do. I can do whatever the heck I want to do. NPSL is super cool in that regard. You know, Cindy Spira, the managing director, we don't always see eye to eye. And, and I know that anytime I email or pipe up, I'm, I'm kind of like a... She knows that there's going to be some strong opinion that's probably got some some thought out logic and reason behind it coming her way, and and I'm I'm fairly unwavering. But um, at the end of the day, she also respects the fact that you know that we've had a lot of success, and that as a business, we have the opportunity to do it our way. And, and I appreciate the support and the and the structure of the NPSL for that because we have a lot of fun and do some and we have some really cool fun stuff planned specifically that we're trying to get accomplished this summer that you know a lot of other leagues I know would have some serious issues with if we tried to pull off so is that fair yeah that's fair i i applaud your willingness to try and get into that market in a in a way that uh like the vicaris have with trying to make it affordable or even free um for the kids cuz that's a i think that's a worthwhile cause and i wish you luck with it now you mentioned in there uh COVID-19 so let's start to get into that a little bit before we can talk about that a lot we probably need to talk a little bit just about the economics of lower division soccer so let's do it um let's 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 talk a little bit about what the budget is for to run an NPSL side how much money do you need per year to pull off a team in that league no, that's a good question, man. That's a good. A lot of it's gonna. There's some variables that you can control, and if you're really into this, I'm telling you, go download the stuff from from uh, Dennis Crowley because he he totally open sources his deal, which is super cool. That's a fair question. Low end, I don't know how you could do it for anything less than fifty, sixty thousand um, dollars. The league entry fees, your referees, the venue, you're gonna have to potentially rent unless you own the venue and have some built-in mechanism there. Um, you're going to have, you know, all kinds of expenses around home games and support staff. You're going to have your coaching staff. If you have any front office staff and any help in that regard, you know, marketing help and, and a cost to just do a little bit of advertising to let people know, you know. So from a shoestring perspective, I haven't heard anybody doing it less than fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars. Um, and then at the top end of that, you know, I don't know for certain but i know the detroit cities and the chattanoogas they were doing really well and they were probably in the you know right around 200 maybe 250 range um prior to taking on big salaries to make the nisa move and so that's one of the big things is is you know for npsl we are a semi-pro team and so what that means specifically if we have and this is a great i love talking about the transparent stuff if we have nca college players play on our roster in any way shape or form if they are rostered through npsl on our roster then we cannot pay any of our players or else it 
um, violates their amateur status and, and, and essentially they forfeit it. So because of that, we don't play any players now. Now, what that means is in the future, we absolutely, are there other ways that they can, you know, that players can earn compensation within the club? To some degree, yes. So camps, appearance fees, things of that nature, absolutely. But, um, you know, to some degree, um, it, 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 it all depends, um, you know what I mean, on where you're going to go from as far as like, you know, how you how many teams you play, how long the travel is. And so those are the costs that, that you know, that you can have some control over. In terms of your revenue, um, how's the structure like in terms of tickets versus sponsorships or, or um, well, I don't even know where the other level, other source would be, your pocket, I guess. Yep. <laughs> How does yeah, that, no, how's that all break down? No, you're good. That's a fair question. Um, you know, I always thought that Denton would be a community for a lot of different reasons where, A, we would be able to, to be a little more balanced than most. Um, we did fairly good first year for sponsorships and ticket sales. So our revenue there was probably close to 50, 50. Um, yeah, we generated a fair amount of ticket sales and probably a little more than we wanted Our, you know, what we'd really like to see at this point now in year two, and we saw it a little bit, but COVID kind of totally threw everything out of whack specifically because when we were really making a big push to start season ticket sales, we were canceling NPSL is canceling seasons. The U S open cup games were postponing. So it kind of all evaporated from a, from our big push time, but we were hoping this year to, to, to exceed last year. We had just under a hundred season tickets sold, which was huge for us in our first year. We were hoping to, to get significantly past that. Um, and then we were hoping last year we averaged just over, I think three, 400 people right around there um, amongst all the games. And we had a couple bad things with some rain and some games getting moved around to midweek games and some things that you can't control, but we had a couple of really, really good games too. Um, you know, the Fort Worth game at the end was almost sold out. So uh, from that perspective, we felt like we did better than we anticipated from a, from a um, ticket sales perspective. Merch sales was an area last year we could have been better on. We, didn't, we weren't prepared enough, and we really didn't understand, or I didn't understand some of the ways that we could have been smarter about ordering and being stocked up at the right times and, and kind of what we needed logistically and cash flow-wise to make sure that we were well-positioned at each of our home games. Um, but yeah, so those are probably the main areas from a revenue generation perspective. So you got ticket sales, season ticket sales, sponsorships, um, of course, and then you've got, uh, the merch sales. We also tried to, and started to, to dive into like game day, non-merch sale, kind of like raffles and some other ancillary income ideas. So we made a little money off beer sales. We made a little money off, uh, some other really small things, but None of it was necessarily a big needle mover, but it, you know, it, it, at our level, it all adds up. So, is that fair? Yes, yeah, that's perfectly fair. How about uh, cost control? Are you able to use, um, I don't know, employees or assets from your other businesses? Are they separate? Is there some economies of scale there? How, how does that all function? One hundred percent. No, that's totally fair. Yes, there absolutely is some economy of scales, and that's one of the things that. We felt like we had a competitive advantage. A, the insight that Hitch brought to the organization from a learning curve. Um, we thought that you know all the things he's learned with the Vaqueros and Napa Valley and Alfredtown and and from you know teams when he was general manager at for FC Dallas and when he was with you know DC United and LA Galaxy. That all of those provide you know a wealth of of knowledge that that other NPSL teams aren't going to have, right? Um, but yes, behind that, um, you know, we, it, it, um, yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. 
I always, I always wonder about that. I wonder about guys that are that have another business that's right there if they can if they can use oh, yes. employees no. across and over or whether totally. Is, or totally. is is everybody like that? Is that common in the PSL or are there guys that are like I just run a soccer team and that's it? Oh no, I don't know anybody that's that. I don't know anybody that like their whole job is the club. If it is, they have a massive youth club underneath it or they have something else underneath it that supports the main club, kind of the opposite, kind of like the Liverpool approach, if you will, right? So Liverpool right. had their NPSL team and it was really just to try to legitimize the whole youth academy underneath it, right? And all those teams, but they weren't real sincere or serious about building that out and taking it to the next level and growing it in all those ways, right? Um, but, you know, if... if um, um. Yes, that's so a totally a, fair. In question. a way, then, would 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 it be fair to say that that sort of ability to have, uh, well, almost like another company that's like a a partner in a sense of your club, in in some Huge. ways we could look at it that way. Does Huge. that make your club or MPSL clubs more agile? Does that make them more able to survive? Oh, totally. and then Come back. When, when totally. Situations like totally. This? Totally. You're 100% correct. Yeah. So, you know, from a cash flow and, and payroll perspective, we are very, very light. Uh, and that's by design. So, you know, when we need people, we have them in place and they're ready to spin up and they're being compensated. But for, you know, many months out of the year, our organization is not playing soccer, is not, is not doing a lot of those things. So a lot of those roles aren't being necessary or aren't necessary if you will so we are right. already probably as as compared to most i didn't have to furlough any staff right that, that it just means like hey we're not going to play this month so we're, there's just nothing going on this month we just push we just wait but to your point yes like i have staff from aspiro which is my marketing agency in denton that you know 20, 30% of their job is, uh, is Diablo stuff, whether it's social media, whether it's merch sales, whether it's graphic design, um, whatever it is. And yes, that 100% provides me a competitive advantage over other leagues and larger organizations in a myriad of ways, right? Yeah. Do you have any year round staff that are MPSL only, or is it, is everybody come and go? Everybody, no, I mean, other than, no, yes, other than to yourself. your point, no, yeah, <laughs> and, and, you know, Chad, our head coach, um, is relatively year-round, and we, we've talked about some compensation ways to make sure that, you know, like, in November, we don't do much, but maybe a, an open tryout, right, or something to kind of gear us up, typically, historically, the past couple of Novembers, right, so, yes, no, we don't, no, you're absolutely right, we don't have anybody on staff 12 months out of the year at this point in a full-time role. Now I know that um, MPSL and you mentioned it a little while ago has canceled the season. Um, I was curious how that process went down. Were were local franchises involved yourself specifically, or other franchises involved in that decision, or, or do, does MPSL have a committee that just said we're the competition committee? This is what we're doing, bang, bang and that's it. Yeah, no, that's a trust me. That was a uh, on the contention. Was a, yeah, that was a, that. Well, and not only that, that was like a developing like point of learning for me of like, is it what, how does this work? Oh, okay. They can do that. Okay, cool. I've got some questions about bylaw amendments that I would like to talk, discuss at our next <laughs> annual owners meeting. Right. And like yeah. some specifically some things, but yes, as it stands. So we have a, we have a board of directors, right. Um, and they're voted on and it's a, you know, it's a member of our peers for the most part. So it's a bunch of guys that have teams all over the country. Um, at the end of the day, 
No. So to answer your question, how did that go down? Were we involved? Were we dis- was I discussed with? Was it brought to me? Not at all. Not a single time. And not only that, but to, from what I understand and from what I've gained anecdotally, none of our conference mates either. It's total mm-hmm. bullshit. I was absolutely infuriated by that. Like, I, 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 I had my first call was to my lawyer to start drafting some things up, and then I called Hitch, and he talked me off the ledge, and that's good. That's why you have a business partner. But yeah, yeah I was I was super pissed for a lot of different reasons because I didn't think they had the the, the authority to take that measure without league approve without member approval. Well, that reminds but, me of what I've heard about the decision regarding the year round MPSL thing, where they just sort of yep, dropped yep, that announcement at the yep, league meetings, yep, and yep. all the ownership was like, wait, what? Yep, and that was my first year coming into the league, and uh, you're absolutely right in that regard as well. And we've talked at great length, and they understand how detrimental that is to the authority and the credibility of the league itself and the league you know, management, specifically the national director and some of the other appointees. And so I, I think they realize – I don't think – I don't think they understood how it was going to be received. I think they were more concerned about trying to get to the right answer as quickly as they could, which I understand and I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on. From what I do understand, they leaned on the conference liaisons with over 100 teams in the league. I think it's probably unrealistic for me to think that they're going to contact each and every one, right? Um, but a Google Form's not damn hard. You know what I mean? Like a right. Google form is real easy to get my thoughts and my feelings and ask me six or eight questions and to do that to 100 people and then to have a really good survey of how people are thinking and what they're thinking and when they want to play or what they want to play or if they want to play. That's not hard. Um, Shouldn't and be. I don't and, and Exactly. And I don't feel like that minimum viable product was brought to the table from their side. And that is frustrating. I also don't know that... <sighs> You know, we're asking people to react and adapt and to make and, and to make some really interesting critical decisions, right? And I don't know that maybe we have the right people in the right places for that specific task when it comes to maybe a problem of this scope and magnitude, right? Right. Um, so, and that's fair too. Great. You can run a NPSL team and whatever mean, that means, right? Does that mean that you successfully know how to run a business, you know, market a brand, all those different things? And there was just so much that goes into this decision beyond just can this team play or can that team play? From what I understand and the way they explained it to us was when it looked like they were not going to be able to complete what they have considered to be their traditional NPSL season, which culminates with a national championship in you know late July, um, which is organized specifically so that NCAA players have access and opportunity to play in that league, right? right. Um, that they didn't feel it was in the league's best interest to try to um make anything short of that situation so their whole deal was is if we can't play it the way we want to play it and get to the national championship and what we feel like is a reasonable amount of time and we feel like we can safely do that then we're just going to blow this thing up and give everybody the chance to do what they want to do that's that's the kind of the reading between the lines what i've been told the way it was interpreted was though is i got an email from a from another lower league soccer journalist source and i got actually a text message that said is your league canceled and i went what the what yeah literally and and he went check twitter i was like shit (laughs) so i checked twitter and sure enough there's a story from i think soccer takes in the new york cosmos guys and they're breaking the news um, and so then what, what had happened was is the league had sent out an email to all of the owners and GMs and anybody they have in their core group. But the email system they used, it was the first time they used it or somebody didn't know how to use it properly. But 80% of the emails went to spam. So nobody in my conference, seven, eight other teams, 
you know, 16, 18 other individuals all told between all those teams, nobody got that email. Nobody knew. So, and then they just, you know, it was like, oh, okay, cool. And then they sent the, and it was like, we got the email that they were going to announce it tomorrow, but the cat was already out of the bag, man. Journalists are already running with this and lower league sources are already blasting this all over. Yeah. It was just a, it was a, unfortunately, man, it was a, it, to some degree, it felt like a bungled mess, just like the launch of the Members Cup, right? Right, right. And it's yeah. tough, man. This is tough. I get it. This is, you're not dealing with huge, stable, you know, awesomely run, thorough, well thought out organizations in a lot of sense, right? This is people's, to your earlier point, this is their second job or maybe their third job or whatever it is. So I, I get that, but man, it, it hurt. It hurt. I was super pissed. I was super pissed for a lot of reasons. I was super pissed. And and beyond that, there was no mentions of how that impacts our specifically our league fees. I paid you a, a, a significant amount of money to have the right to play in your league in 2020. You canceled that opportunity. Where do I stand under our fiscal arrangement and contract? So what is the franchise fee for a expansion fee or, or per season fee for expansion NPSL? fee is a great idea i mean a, a great question it varies a lot last time i heard and if i'm not mistaken it's in the 15 to twenty thousand range um and it's gone up a little bit since we came in um which is good and it should um two years later and so yes it's in that area and then league fees every year um, range from 5,500, I think, at the low end, and then they've just been going up every season. So, you know, we pay, I think it was 6,000 this year that we paid to uh, for the right to, and somebody's going to hate me and probably send me an email, and the league's going to probably be all pissed <laughs> off at me. And I really don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. It's all good buzz. This is all stuff that people can find out if they dig hard enough. So, yeah, stand in the truth. But yeah, and so, you know, six grand's not a ton of money, but it's also not an insignificant amount of money. You know, if we've got a sixty, no. eighty thousand dollar budget, that's 10% just for the right to show up. Up and to put your crest on our shirt and to use your league sanctioning and to for some other things. And so, you know, we, there's been some serious conversations internally about what is what is next season look like with NPSL, you know, what are they going to do to to try to, you know, help a, a lower league club, right? Weather this storm because if you're telling me you keep all my money and I didn't play for anything, man, that's that's not a great that's not a great message to come back with, boss. Now, the next official NPSL season, presumably, will be the normal sort of season in 2021. We, we don't know anything about when games are going to be allowed to have fans in the stands. But let's just say as a hypothetical, you're still not allowed to have fans the next time you have a season. Is, is NPSL a viable model with a closed-door system, with a broadcast-only type system? Or yeah, is NPSL more so. level, no, you know, more we've so. got to have fans in the stands? No, more probably more so. Like, you know... Dan Hunt, arguably, you would say, doesn't need ticket sales from the from the way they run their operation and the way they make season ticket holders. Sometimes deals. it seems like but, it. Does. Yeah, I know. That's not, like that would be my opinion of the way the outward, <laughs> yeah. outward look. But no, the reality is, is, is I know they need season ticket sales by how hard they work to try to sell the seats or just give them away to get people in the stands. Season, or, I mean, ticket sales in general are lifebloods of organizations. Sponsorship is great, but if you don't have butts and seats, then they're not buying merch, they're not buying concessions, they're not having a great time, they're not telling friends. You know, the whole thing builds off of that. So that said, though, at our level, and we had a conversation today about that um, specifically in regards to, you know, if, if that is an option, what does that mean? Um, number one, we don't have 15,000 people. 
right? So if they said, hey, no gatherings over 100, cool, we limit our, our, our game since or, you know, our in-game attendance to 100 or 50. And I think we're going to be there probably sooner than later. Like, there, you know, he approved, um, and I'm in Texas, and, you know, so we talk about, I say he, I talk about my buddy Greg is what I call him, Greg Abbott. And so Greg came out this week, yesterday, and said that, um, you know, May 15th or May 1st, movie theaters 25%, and they're hoping by May 18th, 50%. Well, I did the math, like the average movie theater nowadays has like 150, 200 seats. Even the nice big reclining seats, there's 20 across and there's 20 rows. That's 400 seats, right? Right. Like that's a lot of people. Well, yeah. I'm like, cool, man. If you can get to a movie theater, then we can play soccer in, in my mind, right? Sure. Um, so we'll, some of those things, you're absolutely right. We'll find out. But if they said, hey, you can't do it at all, I've already thought about that. There's a couple different ways we can go. So... Um, there are some platforms that would allow us to stream where we would be able to charge like a dollar a game, you know what I mean, for access to the stream. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. And if we could get 500 people or 1,000 people, great. We're offsetting cost, and maybe we're we're not totally replacing, but we're getting close to. If we do go to that model as well, you know you're going to have more fans watching the stream. So our sponsorship of the stream becomes a viable opportunity, some sponsorship opportunities within the stream, some halftime show performance stuff, some pregame talks, all that stuff becomes way more lucrative and could be the jump start we need as an as a as a lower league you know entity to really develop that and make people commit to like we need to do this because this is a viable alternative income stream and revenue stream outside of our normal you know what i mean mm-hmm. so what, what you, yes yeah what do you think the biggest uh tr- trouble spot the most dangerous problem the biggest sort of obstacle uh, not that I doubt your survival, but like, what's the most dangerous aspect of, of making it through this shutdown for you guys? <sighs> That's a good question, man. That's a good question. So not like, and this, this might sound esoteric and you might, and a lot of people might be like, Oh, this guy's a douche. And that's totally fine. <laughs> I don't blame you at all. But like, I get not losing. Yeah. Trust me. So do I, like I try to keep myself pretty humble about who I am, but um, not losing the force through the trees. So it's so easy right now to just get so caught up in what we want to do because we can't do some of the things we normally do. And there's just no reason to kind of maybe throw the, the baby out with the bathwater, if you will, and, and really like, you know, commit or try to overextend or do something that doesn't feel right or the tone's not right or just the timing's not right by just trying to force it, right? Um, so in a lot of ways, it's just being smart about where we are and what we need to be doing to just keep kicking the can to get to the point where we need to from like, you know, as a lower league team, you have three months of, to, to make 90% of your revenue, roughly, maybe 80%. But depending on the organization, you've got a small window to make everything for a year. And we are missing that for a lot of organizations. So you have to, we have to be really smart about ways that we can be scrappy. Um, but yeah, you know, like I personally am not concerned about the Diabolist at all. We, if, if, if we can't play in 2020 and we have to wait all the way until spring of 2021, we'll be fine. We'll be totally cool. It, it's not ideal, and I don't want it to be, but we'll be totally fine. And we'll be ready to spin up. As soon as somebody says, all right, you are now free to, like a Southwest, I'm waiting for a Southwest commercial. If Southwest got their proverbial stuff together for marketing, they would crush with a now, you're now free to move about the country you know, bring that campaign back. Right. Cause I'm waiting for the ding. You're now free to move about the country. Like everything's going to, so, and when that happens, it's going to be this huge rush and people are going to want to be out and it's going to be great. Right. And so, uh, we're just trying to stay engaged, keep our guys engaged, 
keep everybody aware and communicated to and stay relevant. So, you know, we're planning some lower league E-Cups. The NPSL launched the ENPSL, and we're going to launch a team in that. So try to do anything we can to make sure people remember, like, hey, we're here, and when we can, we're going to have a lot of fun like we did last year, and it's going to be awesome. And whenever that is, and whenever it's safe to, and whenever Denton County, Tarrant County, and Dallas County, Director of Public Health say, yes, it is safe to have crowds of 100 or 150 or whatever, then we will be ready to go. Are you worried about any teams vanishing from the MPSL, USL 2 level? Yeah. You think you're going to lose some? Totally, yeah. And I don't know if we'll lose them to, like, if they'll just fold up shop. I'm sure there will be some teams that just fold up shop. They just don't have, you know, a lot of the UPSL teams specifically don't have the, you know, the fan support and the players. And it's just, it's you know, it's it's relatively loosely organized, if you will. And so that's going to create a real, it's going to cull American soccer in the lower leagues to a great extent. The USL2 guys, I don't know, it'll be interesting. That's a much bigger push, and especially like the USL1, I fully expect us to see some ramifications of some, you know, and we've seen, if I'm not mistaken, we've seen it with NISA. You know, I don't know that it's COVID-related, but they had a team that launched and then within two weeks of launching or whatever, right, folded up shop and went away. Like, it's especially the high, so USL2, USL1, much bigger chance. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, real, well, real money. Those salaries. are the teams I worry about. It's like the, yeah. you know, the flexibility of the guys at your level versus like yep. MLS dollars. Of course, they'll prop up themselves with their crazy owners and their and their USL yep. one teams. But then, yep. it's the independent USL one teams or the yep. USL champions teams that yep. struggle. El Paso locomotive, El, El Paso, right? Or New Mexico United, your yep. Tucson, your Tacoma, maybe yep. you know, guys yep. that are only drawing a couple of thousand and yet have City these Energy. larger overheads. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. So to your point, like NTSC is fine. They're not going anywhere. Dan's going to take care of them, right? Right. And, they're, and their deal with Globe Life's no big deal, no harm, no foul. We can't play. You can't hold us. We can't play. Cool. We don't pay anything. So it doesn't cost them from that perspective. The, the salaries that they pay, they don't pay. It's a function of FC Dallas just trying to hide guys and keep guys in the system before exactly. they run off overseas, right? So all of those things make it, they're fine. They're insulated. But to your point, the other guys, you know, Oklahoma City Energy, you know what I mean? They have their own stadium and they have their own stuff. And they have, and like, man, those costs start creeping up on you. You know what I mean? Um, and the new teams that just launched, like the Nashville teams and some of the other teams that really didn't even get the full chance to really go, like, you know, the Austin USL team. Man, I feel really bad for them. Yeah. The MLS team coming. And that's part of like, that was to get back to your earlier point. That was another reason why I had no faith in USL is like, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to do it? Like, how do I feel good when they took one team and gave and gave the Austin team an MLS team right after they awarded the USL team? Like, oh, talk about crush your marketplace, right? Yeah. And you're talking about two leagues, which are theoretically have some level of partnership, the USL and Major League Soccer. You know, you would I, expect that. Yeah, it was a little bit. I, the whole, you know, you would have thought maybe by the time Austin Bowl got going that there might have already been some straws in the water in terms of Austin FC and somebody could have said something. Yes. Would have thought. I, you know, yes. it, I, it seems really, I mean, like I've talked to the Austin Bowl guys and they're like, we consider ourselves to be a different market because we're up in whatever, where the track is up in almost like yep. Round Rock. So yep. they're not worried about it. But I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know, man. That seems, I mean, I, I will say one thing. Like, I feel Fort Worth can support a USL championship level team 
you know, with FC Dallas right there in Dallas. I think you could handle both. But Dallas-Fort Worth is a little bit bigger than Austin Round Rock. Oh, totally. And so I, I worry about that situation just because I want everyone to succeed in soccer. I mean, I don't have a... Uh, a bone to pick in this fight, you know. I'm just I'm hoping that they both can survive, and I just don't know about awesome bold man. Those guys are going to be in a tough boat. I know, uh, man. I have to say, I know, man. All I right. Know. Speaking totally of agree. that, um, that leads me back to the year round MPSL. Is that something you guys are interested in? Have you have you considered that, or is yes. it just not the right time for you guys? No, we've we've 100 considered it. You know, a year ago, if you'd asked me this question, I'd have said it's too early. We can't do it. The reality is, is best laid intentions and like you know mike tyson everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth right <laughs> yeah um and i <laughs> love shots are fired exactly true story man you know and so we totally had a two-year three-year five-year plan and then we qualified for the u.s open cup and this right. year that meant we'd need a team in march and it was like oh crap we need a group of guys that can represent us that are here locally and can play in march and conceivably if we win can play in july and august right and so because of that we had already and last year we knew that just building a usl2 type team where we just bring in a new roster every season and we churn and burn which is kind of what midland do and to some degree what laredo do which is nothing so. wrong with that yeah and des moines does it and you know a lot of the usl2 teams do that and i totally get it i'm not knocking it but we wanted to build something where there was just a chance for you know there's there's amazing there's just a such a wealth of talent in 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 South and East Denton County, right? And West Collin County, right? Right here within 10 miles, yeah. 12, 15 miles of Denton. You get Frisco, you get Little Elm, you get Highland Village and Flower Mound, some Grapevine, all of that. And even into Denton and a little bit north. But all of that area is just a rich, fertile soccer talent area. Uh, and so we just felt like, you know, that, it, that there was a real opportunity there. You've mentioned the Open Cup a couple of times. I know you have professed a great love for it. I certainly think it's amazing. Um, I, I think it's actually really important to play that tournament in some capacity this season. You know, with with its with its run from what is it, nineteen fourteen, without interruption, um, one hundred and seven years. You're yeah, correct, sir. I'm a big believer in, in that. What 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 kind of roster? I mean, you've talked about trying to build a roster. What does that roster look like? What 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 kind of players are making up that kind of roster for you? No, we're we're lucky that we have a a really good centerpiece. Um, you know, I'm lucky, blessed, whatever, fortunate, stupid, whatever you want to, you know, dumb luck, however you want to phrase it. But th- this whole thing was a was a a giant, you know, exercise in hedging our bets in a lot of ways, right? So. Building a team from scratch and knowing that I got to go with Jamie Lovegrove, right? And and losing to him three times last season, we knew exactly where we stood. But like we knew it's going to be no no short order, right? Um, to try to come in and have any success in the Lone Star Conference within NPSL, right? So that's not the easiest path to find success on the pitch by right. any means. Um, but we also knew that like there is such a wealth of talent, man. Every year there's tons of kids flying out of DA programs across the Metroplex that are not going to colleges or if they are want to come home and play or have just finished college and now are coming home and looking for the next steps and aren't good enough to maybe get a USL one deal yet out of the gate or a USL championship deal. Um, but are good and do want to continue playing and have played at a high level. And so all for all those reasons and more, man, we just felt like, you know, there was an opportunity. And so 
the the reality is is Sam Garza is huge for us, right? Um, and Sam is is in a lot of ways our Jamie Lovegrove and our talisman and our thing that that Sam can go out and talk to guys and go, hey man, you you know we're gonna play in the U.S. Open Cup, you interested? And then all of a sudden. Um, we start getting guys that before maybe weren't as interested and, or, or didn't really know what we were doing, didn't feel confident in it. But, you know, after having a little success last season, having a guy like Sam involved, um, that helps us go out throughout the community and, and start the process of trying to bring some guys in. So, um, man, we were super lucky. We, we, we were able to recruit some guys that played in other NPSL teams that weren't open cup qualified and we're looking for better opportunities and we feel like we leveled up in some of those places and, and we're able to steal some guys away. And, um, you know, there's, there's a, this, this area is so crazy, you know, like everybody forgets, but MASL has quality players, um, playing right here in our backyard. And, uh, in us soccer's eyes, those guys are still considered amateur. Um, right. and so, and so it works out real well. And those guys live here and they're local and they train youth teams. And so, um, we've, we've had a, a chance to talk to the outlaws and the uh, sidekicks um, and, and bring in some of their guys as well to help uh, fill up, round out our roster, if you will. And then we had some open tryouts, and it's crazy. We got some amazing players that came down from you know a school in Oklahoma we had never heard of, a, a kid from uh, Northern Ireland that was just like, oh, wow. Uh, and then when he came down, he called another buddy that was coaching for a youth club over in Colleyville, but you know, had played before. And so then I start doing the research on him and find out, yeah, he played, you know, first division Northern Ireland premiership for three seasons and was in Manchester United's youth Academy. And was, it was like, Holy crap. Like, Oh yeah, this, this dude is super legit. Right. Uh, and then suffered some knee injuries and realized, yeah, I'm not going to make it at that level. Let me go to the States. And now he's like, I want to play some more. I want to, I want to, I want to get back in it and, and get those competitive. Great. Yes. We, we got a place for you. Um, so it's amazing how many of those guys are just walking around. Like, you know, the funny story there is, is the first team I ever coached for my son was at Blue Sky in Carrollton. Okay. And I get the roster and I set up a little practice for us and everybody comes out. Most kids have never played soccer before. Most of the parents have never played soccer, don't know anything about it. And I get a kid on my team named Zinedine. <laughs> and his, and, 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 yeah. And, yeah. And his mom is uh irish red hair fair skin zinedine o'brien <laughs> name meant nothing to me right yeah and so we go to practice and and he's a little left-footed kid kind of kind of full of piss and vinegar fun kid to coach um but didn't look like he was like in love with the game by any de- like wouldn't have any idea so his dad comes practice finally and uh i'm like man you look really familiar where do i know you from and he's Irish. He's like, oh, you don't know me. I'm nobody. No big deal. I'm like, okay, cool. And so his <laughs> wife sends me a text later and she's like, Ronnie doesn't like to talk about it, but he played for, I'm like, holy shit, it's Ronnie O'Brien. Yeah. And so I remember sitting at the thing the next day going, dude, why aren't you coaching? Dude, what am I like, bro? I, I got, what, what am I doing? He's like, nah, I don't want to do that, man. I just wanted the kid to have fun. But like, that's, you got guys like Ronnie O'Brien just walking around, you know, a year or two removed, retired from FC Dallas. It was just, you know, what's going on? It's just that it, it, the Metroplex is crazy like that, right? Yeah. So we knew finding talent and, and getting a talented roster wasn't going to be the most difficult task. You know, putting together in short order and making it and putting it together where we could have success and, and play quality and, and make a sincere run. Yeah, that's a little tougher task. But we felt pretty good about what we were going to bring on uh, March 25th to uh, NT X-Ray Autos. 
I love when you go over to, let's say, like the Hispanic over 30 leagues in Dallas, and you can't throw a stick without hitting 15 ex-pros from Latin America. Well, that's that it, are, dude. That are here playing. That's it, man. And, you know, and the Vaqueros have used a bunch of those guys, like, you know, Ramon Nunez and um, some of their guys from Trinidad and Tobago and some of their guys from Jamaica. And yeah. you're absolutely right, man. And, you know, the Metroplex is a great place for a lot of those guys to land in general. So you're absolutely right. I once made a joke on Twitter um, about the Diablos moving up to a higher division uh, and got a reaction I did not expect. Uh, yeah. One from the amount of people that thought it was real, number yeah. one. And number two, the reaction from you guys that maybe. So, I mean, how are is that really something that's on the table for you someday? And what does that plan look like? The plan is uh, developing, man. The plan is is being rewritten and amended, literally almost day by di- day by day, and situations like we find ourselves in now. But yes, um, we want to grow the brand and and do and make it as big and as wonderful and as sustainable as we can, right? And so I've made no qualms that I have, you know, delusions of grandeur when it comes to this endeavor, and that. I'm a dreamer and I'm a romantic and I'm eternally optimistic and that I fully believe that if we do things the right way, we can create something that is unparalleled and un, you know unmatched and unrivaled and totally unique and special and awesome right here in Denton, Texas. And I'm committed to that and a lot of our other you know ownership and, and people in the club are. To your point, what does that mean? It means that someday we want to have a, and, and we're working actively towards our own youth academy, right? And eliminating a lot of the, or trying to solve some of the brokenness of that system. It also means trying to figure out a way for us to take control and ownership of our opportunities to play in the form of our own venue, right? So figuring out how we either work with the city like the Bakiros have modeled, or we bring in private equity dollars or whatever we do to start to take some control over that because our short-term future right now would look vastly different if we controlled our own facility even, right? Revenue control, yeah, that's a big one. 100%. And and not only revenue control, but just like logistical control, playing the schedule I want, playing who I want, being able to control some of those things of practices and and then beyond that, how we can then turn that into a monetization and revenue stream for the club in general, how we then can get a beer and wine license and start to own some of those revenue streams, you know, concessions stands, merch sales, and on and an actual soccer store. There's no place in the city of Denton. There's not a soccer store in Denton. So the closest one is really in like the colony at Soccer Corner. That's a 40-minute drive wow. for most people in Denton, 35 at most, 30 at the very fastest. That's a long way, right? So there's just, there's all these little things that add up where I think if we, if we, if we just, and, and that's what I think we did last year, if we just strike the match and hold it up, there's going to be all this kindling around that it was just too dark for anybody to see, right? Nobody was really actively looking to say, can Denton be a great soccer community? They don't care. Frisco's blowing up. Frisco, you know, Fort Worth over there, everybody thinks that, you know, it's got one point whatever, so it's a great marketplace, and it is. But I think Denton in this 250, 350,000 small DMA has this really unique opportunity because they will support. Dentonites are crazy supportive, man. So if we support the community and we continue to give back and invest locally like we have, then I, 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 I see no reason that our season ticket sales, our game days ticket sales, and that our sponsorship support is just going to do nothing but increase. And God willing, we can control some of the other pieces and continue to grow that side. Then when you put it all together, we can conceivably look at a NISA option or another 
you know, third ultimately a third division professional option that allows some sort of chance to climb all the way to the top, man. I'd be I'd be disingenuous and, and I would be bullshitting myself and others if I didn't say I created the team with the idea of starting at the bottom, working my way to the top, and laughing and enjoying myself on the whole ride up. Do you think that the the the, the, the remarks from the USL that they're someday going to have USL championship to one. That's refreshing. Relegation. That's refreshing. The fact that the man was even willing to discuss the possibility as a realistic opportunity that is worth merit in, in investing the conversation around is hugely just optimism and hopeful for me. Right. That is such a that is such a a a, a diversion from the Garber path of it's our money, it's a closed system, you want in, 100 mil, 150, 250, 600, a billion dollars, right? Yeah. Um, and that, you know, none of the other things. And so, you know, the whole that's why I'm saying the whole thing is broken, right? Like, it, we can't, it's just, it, you, you can't let the marketing dollars of the league control the decision-making for how the actual structure of the organizational body for the game operates. And how those pieces are so intertwined but completely disparate is is totally wrong. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. in, in in conjunction with how every other league and country do it across the globe, it is fundamentally the antithesis. It's absolutely backwards. But it falls in line with the paradigms and normalcies of US professional sports. Right. So yes, well that that's what it, that's the question is: Do you align with the world, or do you align with what functions as a business in America? That's a listen. We could do hours on promotion relegation. Let's not get lost in the weeds. Do you, no, do you think that MPSL has a viable ability to get to a Division Three Tier Three uh, position someday? Oh, I'd love to see it, man. Nobody'd be a bigger proponent than me, right? I have a vested interest for a lot of different reasons. And if we could be on that level with a USL one and NISA, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think we really need US soccer to step in and provide some clarity and really take ownership of the whole thing and provide some guidelines and some structure and say, Cool, you want to be division three, this is what you need to do. You want to be division four, cool, and then here's how you move up to division three if you want to as either a club or a league. And they've done a really a piss poor job. Yeah. You know, why did why did Nisa get division three sanctioning and, and, and ASL didn't? Is it just because uh, you don't no like Rocco? <laughs> Probably because you know the I mean? Cosmos it, being in one and not the other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so is it just you know is it just Rocco? Is that the deal? Do you guys Probably. just hate Rocco? Yeah. Like and that's and so that's the kind of things that just make the yeah. whole. So we got to get you know whether that's FIFA stepping in. I don't know who. I don't know where. Right. To some degree though, it will be the public because nobody. There's not a single person that thinks the U.S. soccer system is well-functioning, except maybe those that are running it, right? The blind idiots up there. But everybody <laughs> else, including the lower-level youth academy, Winaldas and you know Reinas and Lalases, they'll all say that this thing's not right. There's a better way. We haven't found it yet, but we need to keep working towards yeah. it. Yeah. Well, just I'm not involved by, on, on any level, but I just love the New York Cosmos brand. Maybe it's because I'm almost 50 years old, but I would have loved to have seen that brand in Major League Soccer or in whatever the oh. top level of soccer is oh. uh, and not some of the dumb brands that we got. I, sometimes Dude. I don't understand the choices that are made. But. Dude. 100% agree, buddy. Yeah. 100% agree. Yeah. If I had a time machine, the local pro team here would be called Dallas Texans. And they would have merged well, with the current Dallas Texans and solved all that hassle in one shot. But there's well, and, you know, too many egos a, on both sides of that. That's discussion. it, dude. That's yeah. it, man. That's it. And then they would have dominated, and then the whole thing would have yeah. fallen in line. And yeah. dude, there's there's a pathway there. You know, 
I love Solo to Death, and and uh, they're doing um, great work given where their situation is. Yep, and and yeah. and you know Chris Stricker and or not Chris Stricker, but um, um, oh, I can't think of his name now. Um, um, one of their directors of coaching is a really good Grant Sawyer. Excuse me, Grant Sawyer is a great guy, and what he's done with his one team and what they the OOS and the academy, they've done really really amazing things in spite of. But with all that said, I still think there's a there's another way to do it that's just different, right? And doesn't involve, um, you know, a lot yeah. of people paying a lot of money to get to the end. I, I agree with that. And, and again, we could do hours on youth soccer. And, and I'm certainly not a youth soccer expert. I just would, I would like to see um, some of the kids that are in non-FC Dallas academies have a way to get a pro shot. Um, this homegrown territory rule for me is just crazy. Uh, in terms oh. of how, how it blocks a guy that's not even, I mean, I would get it if he was like, if it's a kid for the actual academy, but like this idea that solar kids are FC Dallas bound somehow. I mean, Dude, listen, I, I'd thing. love for some of those solar kids to play for FC Dallas. Don't get me wrong, but like to block their ability to play for somebody else because they happen to be from Dallas to me. That's that one's crazy. It's anti-American. Yeah. It's anti-American. It's I mean, like it, against the fundamental pieces of like what makes us America. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like nobody for owns Chris your Kappas coming to FC Dallas. That's and it. now it sucks for Bailey Sparks trying that's to it. go to wherever he wants to go. You know what I mean? That's like, it. Yeah, no, that's I, I've heard that name a couple times, and it, it's like the kid out of Houston, right, that FC Dallas wanted, but we yeah. couldn't get because Houston owned his rights. It's the dumbest thing Right, and thing he didn't ever. play for Houston. He played for that's Texans, it. which is like that's up in, it. whatever. You know, so, that's yeah, it. And so, and to yeah. your point, man, like that is, again, totally counterintuitive and totally counter um, to everything that every other country functions. And so I think we, listen, we've already seen our, we, we've aligned ourselves with international from a age group concern and calendars and a lot of other different things trying to, it's just a function of time. You yes. know what I mean? And I think I buzz in a lot of ways, like, I, I hate to say this, but I'm 40 years old and I've grown up in the game immersed from five years old to 40. So 35 years of, of loving soccer. Remember the World Cup in Italy in 88 and watching that in random hours and stuff. Remember USA 92 vividly. And, you know, we've never been in a more educated place, but we're also never been at more of a dividing line of like the people running U.S. soccer are an old guard generation like my dad. And as soon as some of those people maybe get out of the way, then there's a different generation that wants to see, even at the cost maybe of their own monetization, a better structure because they know it's better for the game. And so somebody's going to be the James Naismith as a steal and drive us all forward. It'll be interesting to him. see if long term there's a someone can make a viable promotion and relegation pyramid that's outside of Major League Soccer because clearly that's not going to happen. Yep. So can some outside force operate operate a completely viable, functional, survivable money-making operation with promotion and relegation that could eventually, hypothetically, challenge Major League Soccer? I mean, it might take 20 more dude. years, but um, no, no, it's an interesting it, it, question to see how it happens. Dude, and, and I think the... I think the the underpinnings and it's never been it's never been a more viable option or opportunity than it has now and the environment has never been more fertile than now for that to potentially come out right yeah. so and i have pushed i'm the guy that's came in the first year and was like yo why don't we just figure out a cool way to like merge with the upsl right and then start right. creating this really massive four-tier structure within our organization and then you know nisa comes awesome let's talk about like our top two or three teams having a chance to play into nisa right but a lot of that too you know what i mean um you got to have the 
the, 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 everybody forgets, but like the difference between championship and premier league is huge, right? It is. It is. Well, the further you go down, the difference between each of those leagues gets smaller and smaller, right? Yeah. You can't, you can't have, well, we have MLS and to some degree it's almost premier league in the chasm between it and then USL one or USL championship, right? Yes. Well, then those same chasms exist between USL cha- uh, championship and USL one, USL one and USL two, right? Yeah. All the way down the chain. And if if the if the gaps between the revenue, the expenses, the model, if all of those remain that large, then we'll never find ourselves in that situation. We also have to have more TV dollars because that's what funds the entire operation on the other side of the pond. Well, I agree with you, and I think that as the game continues to grow here in the United States, that those gasms and those gaps will close uh, over yes. time. You know, yes. those those clubs, those small, those clubs that are in danger right now have to be more sustainable and less in danger when this kind of... I mean, obviously, you hope that this kind of situation is not going to happen again, but it's a, the, the, the danger they're in is a symptom of the the instability in parts of the structure. Like I have mentioned before that in most countries, the pro league is, sits on top of a firm built pyramid although yep. perhaps some of that's being exposed whereas in this country right now all the other leagues are dangling off of the top that is sort of holding it all together but i think if we reinforce and build those middle two or three tiers it'll be better for the game across the board and the pyramid will strengthen and then who knows where things will be in 20 years or even in five years if this league mx mls thing happens that'll really go up the works but uh but no but yes but no Maybe not, right? Because yeah. that that then creates a bigger structure with more. Like if you think the the you know the chasms are big here, go to Mexico. Yeah, the difference nuts. between the the Division One teams and then the Division Two and Three teams is insane. And they just right? got rid of promotion or relegation. Exactly right, but yeah. they're gonna but that's not gonna sit well with a whole host of fans, and it's also not gonna sit well with FIFA, right? That's not good we'll for see. the game. Yeah. I don't know. I, that's my prayer, man. My prayer is just like other countries that FIFA is going to step in, just like they did in Australia, just like they've done before in other countries, and they're going to say, "Cool, if you have multiple professional leagues, you have to find some sort of pathway to at least some semblance and chance yeah, yeah. of promotion." It doesn't have to be automatic. It can be super because the reality is Mexico's promotion relegation system before was unbelievably convoluted yeah. and not clear at all, and you could win and still not get moved up for a whole host of reasons. So. Transparency, you know, open. It's it's all got to. It, it just needs improvement. Well, we've been spent twenty years hoping soccer would survive, and I think the next twenty is going to be about making it, uh, building the the pie, if you will, as as oh, these yes. things start to work. I totally agree, buddy. Totally agree. All right, Damon, it's been fantastic, man. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Your insight into low level professional soccer has been amazing. I can't thank you enough for joining us. Absolutely my pleasure, Buzz. I appreciate it. And for anybody out there interested, check us out at didiablos.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook as well, any of those good places. Um, if you want to watch some of our games from last year, head up to um, head up to head over to our Facebook page and we've got all the Facebook Live or excuse me, all of our games from last year we streamed on Facebook Live and you're good there. Um, so, you know, overall, we appreciate everybody's support. We appreciate everybody that's supported us in any different way. And if you have anything that you want from us, or if you think there's something that we should be doing better, or you got ideas, whatever, my email address is Damon, D-A-M-O-N, at DentonDiablos.com. So email me, let me know, and, uh, and we'll help or do whatever we can. We appreciate you. 
Well, I'm a big believer in the sport local soccer, and, and if and when you guys get, not if, not if, when you guys get up and running and playing again, I certainly will be there. I would encourage our listeners all to give it a shot, and if any, nothing else, you could buy yourself a t-shirt or a jersey or something and support local soccer that way. No, I all appreciate right. it, Buzz. And That's, we've got some, for what it's worth, I just want to take this, stay tuned whenever this comes out in the next, you know, four, eight, 12 weeks, we're listening to the governor and we've got some really cool plans um, and some really exciting things for North Texas local soccer that will be truly unique and really special as soon as we can find a way to get on a field. So. All right. Well, that sounds fascinating. <laughs> we can talk about that in a minute then. Yep, we will. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for everybody for joining in as we took a one week break from our historic look back through uh, the history of FC Dallas. We will be back. Uh, next week with that podcast uh, that history look back with a guy that you will know Damon uh, Wayne uh, your play by play guy for the, the yeah Dallas. Wayne McMullen Wayne McMullen yeah Wayne's a great us. guy yeah he's going to join us to talk about the uh, 2010 MLS Cup run of FC Dallas through the next five seasons around that when he was uh, I believe president of the uh, supporters group and, and made the trips yes. to the Open Cup and everything great guy he's in media also a huge fan so we're going to have and a West Ham fan we won't hold that against him but that'll be next no, week we on Third Degree the Podcast and if you listen tonight and you like what we do on the web or on this podcast you can support us at patreon.com slash third degree with a little, good, little bit of bonus content there not that you need it to follow everything we do we put that all out there in the real world for you but a little bit of extra deep dive kind of stuff if you like what we do or think that sounds interesting, join us on the Patreon. Thanks again for listening to Third Degree, the podcast, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.